heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. I've been reached deep, deep, deep into my pockets again because if you're watching on YouTube, you already know by the signature who my guest is. This is So there's the Manning cast on ESPN2 for those of you in the States. This is the Trust Fund cast. And with that being said, welcome back again. And for the first time during the regular season two is the Trust Fund benefactor himself, Jared Silverclight. That is right. Hello, one and all. Once again, the trust fund benefactor, Jared Silberkleit, returning to the YWC football talk to make this podcast trust fund approved. Ooh, I love it. We're just like feeding off, feeding off each other's energies right now. I love it. I love it. Um, before we talk about the games, though, I want to reach deep down into this because I knew I reached out to you to ask you this question, but I wanted to ask you on, I had to ask you on air. Alrighty. Where are you right now with your beloved New York Giants? Oh my goodness! Uh, you know, it's a uh, it's another another season with a terrible first half, another season with an egregious losing record midway through, and you know, trying to back away from the whole "woe is me," why does this always happen? Why does this franchise suck so bad? I'm trying to look at this season, this season in particular trying to figure out why why things are where they are. And it's really frustrating because I was really optimistic heading into the season because I thought for the first time since uh, in the post-Tom Coughlin era last year, I thought the Giants finally got a coach where the message was sinking in. I thought they finally got a coach where the players were, were believed in the plan. They were believing in the scheme. They... They believed in the bigger picture, and I thought that he was, you know, the right guy. And I just thought that they were lacking from a personnel standpoint. And I thought they made, for the most part, the necessary roster moves in the offseason to take the next step. And instead, it's like they've gone backwards uh, from a from a coaching leadership standpoint. I mean, I think that um, there have definitely been flashes this year. There's been a lot of injuries, and they're still not entirely out of it, but. I mean, I know how this story ends, so I still think it would be a long shot if they were to wind up, um, you know, making the playoffs. And I'm certainly not expecting that to be the case. Um, I do think that because people's jobs are probably on the line, it. I would like to think that there's going to be some serious desperation and they're going to do everything in their power to try to run the table after the bye week. And I guess they have a little bit of momentum momentum after beating the Raiders but it's uh it's just it's frustrating because um, on one hand you think does Joe Judge need more time but on the other hand you think uh, is this guy just not ready to be a head coach right now and you're probably going to wind up replacing the general manager and really who are you as a franchise to tell your new general manager that he must keep Joe Judge as his head coach so they're, they're putting themselves in another tough position. I mean, I, I do think that um, the roster is more talented than three and six. Um, I, I do think that in better hands, they would have a better record. Um, I, I've told friends before that uh, if you put the Giants roster, you know, you you uh, you put the Rams uniforms on, on them and Sean McVay was running the show, I'm sure they would have a winning record. 
but there's just uh, there's just something about it. I mean, Jason Garrett kind of drives me up the wall most weeks, and Joe Judge. Um, I think he looks like a head coach, sounds like a head coach, but is sorely lacking the experience that you want from a head coach. You know what? I agree with the Joe Judge thing. I, I, well, I'm just gonna say this with Jason Garrett. I've seen many Giants Twitter, including people who are friends of the show, um, complain about Jason Garrett on a weekly basis. Um, yep. Yeah, like I know, look, he's the outlier. He's probably going to be gone at the end of the season. Uh, my big one for you guys, though, is I feel like Patrick Graham's mystique, if you will, or his overall, like, expertise has kind of worn off of it. Like, you know, last year where it was, yeah, we fought, like, because I know for a while for you guys, offense was always like, okay, but defense was always the problem. This is obviously in the post-Tom Coughlin era. Because right. obviously defense is what won you, the, I, I would argue, the two Super Bowls against New England. Of Apart course. From, like, obviously, there were the great plays in those Super Bowls. But I know, like, 07, that was the Michael Strahan, Justin Tuck, uh, those defenses. Um, but now, I feel like last year, you had this defense, James Bradbury, hell of a year. Logan Ryan, hell of a year. But then this year, it's kind of like, okay, you got Leonard Williams signed, and it's trying to figure out where to go. Obviously, Blake Martinez did stuff with the 20 ACL, so he's out of the question right now. But as for as much as the offense is lacking, I feel like, too, there's times where the defense is either on its game or completely out to left field. You know, like there's no middle ground in between where, hey, it, it's not like saying it was our best game, but it wasn't our worst game. Like we, we played okay. I feel like for the Giants, it's either, you know that Italian soccer coach that went viral who says sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. That's how I feel like the New York Giants <laughs> as a whole is this season. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a that's a good analogy. I mean, it, it really it, it is kind of um, it's interesting with them because it's not necessarily um, the same problem with them week in and week out. Although I would say I would argue that uh, the offense is definitely uh, once all the injuries have settled in, particularly Andrew Thomas going down, uh, they've been consistently um, unimpressive in their like ability to you know move the football down the field. But from a defensive standpoint, they've definitely been hot and cold. Um, I think that they got off to a terrible start. I mean, the first uh, couple, the, really uh, much of September, it was abysmal. And I, I was just thinking, what the hell happened? They returned all the same players on defense. Um, I, I was like, what, was losing Dalvin Tomlinson really going to just cause the whole thing to fall apart? And I just didn't see it. But as the season's gone on, it's definitely gotten better. And there have been games, uh, particularly against the Chiefs and the Raiders recently, um, and, and of course the Panthers, although the Panthers uh, without CMC um, have just been so abysmal that I didn't want to give them too much credit for that one. But I will say for the last month or so, the defense has definitely rebounded, although we are not seeing the same ball-hawking secondary play week in and week out that we saw last year. James Brad, like you pointed out, James Bradbury was unexpectedly a lockdown corner last year, uh, complete consistently shutting down opposing teams, number one wide receivers. And this year he's had some flashes, but also he's gotten burned a lot. And Logan Ryan, again, on and off. Adore Jackson, we're just seeing flashes and that's a very expensive contract. I do think that Xavier McKinney being healthy has really um, given the secondary a shot in the arm at times and has made up for the poor performances of uh, the guys that uh, we just ran through. And um, also Aziz Ojolari, um, great pick. I mean, uh, he's been there. He's been their best draft pick this year uh, by a country mile just because of uh, Kadarius Tony not really being utilized to his full potential in this offense. 
Um, I think Aziz has definitely arrived um, as a guy who has the potential to be, um, you know, a real difference maker um, as an edge rusher for this team um, going forward. And uh, I mean, they, they needed that. That was a big hole to fill. And I do think the defense is coming along um, again, like Leonard Williams, you know, not as dominant as he was last year, but we're seeing flashes at times. Um, I, I think that they're starting to establish that consistency. It's the offense that worries me more than anything. No, 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 for sure. Cause like, even we saw it too, like how, Look, the Giants' defense only – you guys only lost by three to, to a Kansas City Chiefs team yesterday who blew the doors off the Raiders, which we'll get into week, um, week 10 in a bit. Right. Talk, I need to look ahead to next week because, as you know, um, I have a little program on here called Danny Dimes Primetime with Big Rat 310. That returns next Monday, folks, and him and I will be on here to watch the game. And I already saw the line for next week where the Bucks are 11-point favorite. I don't know if you guys are going to win or not, but take, for those of you out there who are degenerate gamblers like Jared and I, take <laughs> the Giants to cover the spread. Yeah. I feel yeah. like this is just a game where it's going to line up where the points are just too much. Like, obviously, the Bucs have had two bad games, but I think, look, the, the Giants are going to find a way to keep this game close as the ball goes through number 18's hands. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I, uh, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I think that that's definitely – uh, it sounds like less of a crazy statement uh, after that awful showing that they just had against Washington this weekend. But the Bucks in this Brady era, honestly, for as stacked as this roster is on paper, and they're, don't get me wrong, they've had their blowout wins, but you look at them over the last couple of years, really most of their wins have not been uh, these you know blowouts where they're winning by multiple scores. A lot of them have unexpectedly come down to the wire. Um, and sometimes they've even lost some of these tight games, like when they lost to uh, the Bears last year. Um, and, uh, and of course, uh, you know, now, uh, you know, losing to Washington, a team that's struggled all year long, but Brady gets picked off twice in the first quarter and they lose by 10. So maybe this is, uh, you know, I mean, this could be the surprising game where they, I mean, maybe they even pull off the upsets, uh, but then they shoot themselves in the feet by losing to the Eagles the following week. So that's usually how things go with the Giants is they play better than you'd think they would um, against better opponents and then lose games that you'd think they'd win. There is a certain event that's coming up that is associated with the Eagles game that I already know that they're going to lose, and that is Michael Strahan getting his number retired. I, I remember seeing a stat because you guys lost earlier this year when Eli had his number retired against the Falcons, mm. and someone said it where the Giants have had a really bad habit over the last like five to ten years of losing games when they're honoring someone's number. So that's just something to look out for. I'm not trying to say they're going to lose. I'm just saying, look, it's history. It seems like it, it may be doomed to repeat itself. That's all. You know, I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out, too, because I actually have tickets to that game. And um, I, originally, that was going to be my one Giants game of the year. Oh, I should probably tell this story. Um, originally, that was going to be my one Giants game this year. Um, but tickets happened to fall into my lap for what game? The Rams game last month. And <laughs> the funny thing about this is that I had seen the Giants play the Rams at MetLife Um a few years back in that dreadful 2017 season when they um, and, and they had lost like 51 to 17. And then this game was over at halftime as well. Uh, so, yeah, the Rams come to MetLife. Uh, bad things are pretty much guaranteed to happen. I mean, it can't be as much worse as what Danny experienced yesterday with his New York team. Mm. Uh, knowing him, he probably bet against them anyway. 
Yeah, you know what? Probably. I I had the Bills on my ticket yesterday. I'm gonna be honest with you. I had the Bills to cover the spread because uh, I've learned something. Josh Allen doesn't lose back to back. Yeah, no, he doesn't. Um, and uh, I I think that we can uh we can officially um declare the Mike White experiment uh dead. Um, <laughs> can we cool cool down the Mike White hype now? Yeah, I think it had its like cute little moment in the sun, like every backup quarterback does, and then a few years it's gonna be. What backup quarterback filled in and won a game for the Jets against the Cincinnati Bengals? And everyone's going to yeah, go, yeah. yeah, who is Mike White? <laughs> yeah, he's going to be answered to a trivia question. And that, that game will be infamous as the Mike White game. And then he just kind of fades into obscurity afterward. I mean, I'm kind of, honestly, if you're a Jets fan, you have to be, you, you should be happy. You should be happy that he played that badly because you don't want, you do not want doubt being cast this early over Zach Wilson. Don't, because, Listen, I mean, he hasn't played great so far, but it's way too early to pull the plug on this kid after you took him with the second overall pick. I mean, yeah, maybe maybe he is another Sam Darnold where he really just stinks, but you got to give him more than a few games to find the answer to that question. And if this Mike White guy, you know, keep kept up this fluky run, they might decide, hey, oh, maybe he's the guy. We need to stick with him. Yeah, exactly. You're right, but then... This injury was kind of like a not a blessing in disguise, but you're right because like if right now Zach Wilson was dead, we know what New York can do to people. Like I don't know if you saw today, but Rex Ryan was just going at Robert Sala. Like it's basically proof that look, winning in this city, winning in that city in particular, comes with huge expectations. Like I know you're a Yankees fan, but I'm gonna and I pray to God you're a rational Yankees fan. No, I'm not. When I say that, I'm not saying you're not the guy who's out here being like yo. Like, you flex the 27 rings, you know, and you think that you guys are going to go, like, win 100 games every year that the World Series is yours. It's always going to be positive, but you, you know the Yankee fan I'm talking about, right? When they feel sure. like oh, yeah, yeah. When, they're lo- when, they're, when the Yankees are losing, that is, like, hell is, hell is, like, you're in hell. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, I always say as a Yankees fan that uh, the general expectation is that um, they, I always say that, like, They've got as good a shot as any of the top AL teams to make the World Series pretty much most years. Um, but then, you know, there's obvious deficiencies. And, uh, I mean, I think that was definitely apparent this year if we're going in the baseball direction. Uh, but, but yeah, um, that, that definitely carries over to football. And that's honestly why the last 10 years as a Giants fan have been so flat-out miserable for me because I didn't, like, I started following football regularly when I was about um, 10 – 10, 11 years old. So right about the time, you know, Eli Manning uh, debuted in the league was when I started, like I was old enough to watch game by game and like follow the seasons. And although they had a couple, you know, a couple bad years um, under Eli uh, early on, you know, they were pretty much a playoff contender at least every year for a good stretch, uh, definitely through the two Super Bowls. And that combined with my Yankee fandom, you know, I kind of just got in the habit of like, yeah, my teams are, they're not going to win it all every year, but the games matter. They're, they're definitely a credible, you know, contentious team. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, uh, from the mid 2010s on having to deal with the giants becoming a legitimate bottom of the barrel, disgraceful embarrassment of a franchise. It was just like, man, like, you know, we're not supposed to be this bad. Not, not for this extended period of time. No, 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 exactly, exactly. I'm glad you pointed all that out. And folks, for Jared's full story, you can go check out episode 100. All episodes available everywhere. Just 
you go in when I asked everyone, why do you love football? I, cause as soon as you mentioned that, that brought me right to your story. Cause you were a part of that wonderful episode, which, uh, Oh, as the Rams jump offside. Um, Oh, you're ahead but of no, me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm ahead of you for the first time ever. Like every time I've had anyone on, whether it be Danny, Big Rat, you name it, they've always been ahead of me and they've been the one calling plays or like, I'll hear like, a little reaction out of them first and then it'll go to there. Um, before we move to week 10, I just got to ask you, do you, like you personally, I'm not going to say Joe Judge because he obviously could be on the hot seat. Sure. What about Gettleman? Because part of me thinks that the Giants brass may give him one more year because he's got the two first-round picks this year. I, I think that that's even more of a reason to get rid of him if you don't make the playoffs. Because here's the thing. Dave Gettleman inherits this team that the, the most glaring deficiency was the offensive line. And after four years, four years as the friggin' general manager of this team, he's produced one quality offensive lineman. One guy. And... I understand it was a good it was a good opportunity from the Bears to get an extra first round pick next year. But you do not make next year moves when you're a general manager that has not had a winning record that that has topped out at 6 wins after 3 years. You need to go all in and make sure that this year this year as far as I'm concerned was supposed to be the culmination of the you know, be patient, we're rebuilding for the last couple of years. This was supposed to be the year where it all came together. At least that's the vibe I was getting. Like, oh, we almost made the playoffs. Now it's time to take the next step. And instead of taking Rashawn Slater, he trades down and plans for next year. And then he takes Tony. And listen, Tony's a wonderful player. I think Tony is great. But number one, Giants don't know how to use him. Number two, he wasn't the most pressing need at the time they needed protection up front. And it's like, when you're going to just blatantly disregard the biggest hole on the roster and you have the same results, you know, year in and year out, their, their base, their season's practically done at the bye week. And I, I don't think after four years, you know, especially if you have multiple first round picks, let's look at the, the last time I'm sorry, I'm rambling here. Let's look at the last time he had multiple first round picks, Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, DeAndre, I like Daniel Jones, but none of those three players are great. Not one. One's not even on your team anymore. One's not even on the team anymore. And, um, yeah, so it's like, why would I want this guy to have another two first-round picks to screw up? I mean, the, the only reason that you would keep him, I think, is because you like Judge. And you know that if you bring in a new general manager they will probably want to get rid of Judge. No, 100%. It's kind of like, I don't know how much in tune you're hockey with, but obviously with the New York Rangers, they had their whole incident earlier this year where um, Jeff Gordon and John Davis were fired. And I asked mm. a, and I asked a Ranger fan friend of mine, shout out Brian Falcon, I don't know him or not, Jared, uh, told me as soon as those, as soon as the new GM was brought in, they were like, no, their current coach was a hire from the old regime, so the new regime is out. I also, too, believe in with the – no matter the sport, especially the NFL, though, if you hire a new GM, hire a new coach at the same time. Don't do one or the other because then you know that – look, you're right. If they bring in a new GM, you know judges' days are numbered. Yeah, and, and the only type of general manager you could hire that would probably be okay with keeping judge – and it's just – it's really just due to his lack of experience is the main thing. Um the only type of GM that would probably keep him 
is another safe internal hire. And if you're going to get a new GM, you need to like the reason they need to replace Gettleman is because their way, I think, is antiquated. I think it's outdated. I don't think that they are drafting um, with uh, to keep pace with where the league is at currently. They need somebody who thinks differently and thinking differently is more than likely going to result in a coaching change as well. I you know what I completely understand as I don't know if you just saw it. Niners made a nice play that's going to help me win fantasy. Hopefully. What happened here? Is uh, that a, oh, that's Debo. Yeah, but no, I need uh, so I'm in a two QB. I'm in four leagues right now, and the one that I'm in right now, I'm in a two QB league. Um, my two quarterbacks are Justin Herbert and Jimmy Garoppolo. I need Garoppolo to put believe it's like 18 points to get the win. He's already at I think six or seven. So yeah. that's all I need. I just need Jimmy Garoppolo to keep getting scores. Um, the only other thing I'll say about the Giants, and for as much as I'd like to poke fun at him, I still think that this year, do not draft a quarterback with both of those picks. There are some good offensive linemen. This is obviously a very weak quarterback draft class. I don't know how much attention you pay to the upcoming prospects, but a lot yeah. of the guys that are coming out, there are going to be some good offensive linemen. Like take Tyler Lindenbaum, for example, lineman out of Iowa, which is the school that just produces offensive linemen. But there's going to be him, there's going to be other guys to look at where – this draft is going to have a lot of offensive linemen. There's going to be a lot of defensive linemen. There's going to be a lot of position players that people that see the naked eye are only going to pay attention to the quarterbacks since, oh, you have two picks, you can do a quarterback. No. Just because you have two first-round picks doesn't mean you have to go out there and get a quarterback. Do what you can now to help your football team win. Because we know the Giants are just eagerly waiting to take that next step. And you know what? Maybe if you pick up Jones' fifth-year option and next year it doesn't work out, then in 2023 – then you can revisit the quarterback board. But for now, I don't want to see people panic. It's like what everyone's been doing with Baker. You know where they're trying to decide, is he good, is he not? No, just give it time. Because Jones, I, I will say this, he has gotten better. Does he still have his moments? Yes. But he is starting to show he's not an elite quarterback. But I, I think he's capable of being a starter in the NFL. Yep, absolutely. No, I agree 100%. I think that, and I was actually a Jones doubter going into this year. I did not think very highly of him. I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and just see how he would do with the new weapons. And it, here's the, and really this year offensively has been an indictment on Jason Garrett more than anything because it frustrated me to no end. And, you know, you could make the excuse for some games once Galladay and Tony were hurt and they physically weren't there. But early in the season, everybody was healthy. And they were not, the team was not being played the way that it needed to be played. I mean, there was one game, there's been one game so far this entire year where the Giants' new look offense took center stage. And it was when Slayton and Shepard got hurt and they were forced to use Galladay, Tony, and Ross in the Saints game. And it looked like a different offense. Jones threw for 400 yards. They were consistently getting the ball downfield, getting touchdowns. Saquon was also healthy in that game. It was like, this was the team I expected to see. You know, this feels different. And even and then, you know, when those guys were unavailable, I still think that Jones has done the best that he, that he can. You know, I, I don't, maybe he's not, He's not great enough to make this team great by himself, and he can't make up for all of their deficiencies. But um, I think that you know any any often any team in the NFL needs a good offensive line. You need skill players, and to top it all off, Jones is one of the smoothest running quarterbacks in the entire NFL. 
And Jason Garrett hardly ever calls those freaking RPOs that he's so damn good at. Um, and I think that you get a new coordinator that can really maximize his skill set. You will see a potential top 10 quarterback. Yeah, exactly. That's all I have to say. But I'm just here to say that because, too, he has from what I've seen, he has limited himself on the fumbles. It's just there's those, those little things that if he can work on and just properly execute. It's not like it's like, for example, I'm going to give a car metaphor. It's like when you take your car to the shop and you know how they try to fuck you and say like, oh, hey, no, apart from this, you need to get this, 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 and this done. When in reality, your car only really needs an oil change. Right. That's Daniel Jones right now with me. Don't do a complete overhaul on him. Just fix the little things. Make him better or not even try to make him better at what he's bad at. Try to improve on what he's good at so that for those moments when he does screw up, because look, not every NFL quarterback is perfect. Hell, Patrick Mahomes is top three in – Texas, you already. Yeah. They played last night. But my thing I'm going to say with Jones quickly is look, so with the whole thing I was saying too, with the mistakes, so if you can master the stuff that he is good at, it will camouflage those moments when he fucks up. I I would agree. I would definitely agree with that. Um, Yeah, I think you pretty much nailed it. Um, And and I'll even, I'll throw this, you know, third, fourth year in the league, Eli Manning, you know, there's been, single game performances better than anything Eli Manning had done at this point in his career, as far as like, you know, single game quarterback showings and playing with, you know, I would say a comparable cast of characters and a, and a stout offensive line an elite offensive line. So I, I would say don't give up hope just yet. Yeah. I think, I think that Jones, I, I would not draft a quarterback next year either. I, I think, I think like you pointed out, um, I personally would just go all in on offensive line. I'd, I'd take two linemen in the first round and just get real serious about tightening this up. Like, I can look it up right now, like O-line draft, draft class 2022, and let's see who comes up. Like, obviously the big name is defensive lineman with Kayvon Thibodeau, but if I was going to go quickly to CBS Sports. They're uh, going to screw themselves out of that pick. They're not going to get first overall. <laughs> no, 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 no. They don't win, they'll win like, too many games. There's uh, Tyler Lindenbaum. There's Kenyon Green. Uh, let's see who else there is. That's uh, a lot. Uh, Thayer Munford from Ohio State. But there's a lot of guys you can get later on. Even to Evan Neal out of Alabama. But I'm looking right now at the big board, and – CBS's big board from earlier this year, the top three picks are all other position players and not quarterbacks. So that's the other thing, too. You don't want to trade the farm to get a quarterback because perfect example here, look at what Jimmy Garoppolo is doing, and now they don't have a first-round pick for the next two years, and they have Trey Lance waiting in the wings to take his job. Yeah, and, and I mean, has Lance even looked that impressive? Not really, no. No. We all know who the best rookie quarterback is. <laughs> To your credit, <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah, no, 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 you're no, I mean, hey, listen, we see the the fact that you know you can have Trevor Lawrence expected to be generational quarterback prospect, right? Um, you know, hardly looks it this year. And yet, so that's a guy who with all the freaking hype in the world, and yet year in and year out, based on availability, we we constantly see teams reaching for quarterbacks. Dwayne Haskins never deserved to be drafted in the first round. That's insane. It's only because he was by default the second or third best quarterback prospect, and therefore he must go in the first round. It's like a lot of these guys, too. Like even 
Have you ever seen the 2013 draft class for quarterback? I talk about it on the show all the time because that draft class is one of the worst draft classes in NFL history. I think Eric you guys Fisher are... was the number one pick. Yeah, and yeah. Luke Jokel went second, and he's out of the league. I think he's in real estate now, and then I feel like every I feel like every failed athlete either goes into like real estate or financial, like something on those lines. But the 2013, I talk about it all the time because that's one of the worst draft classes in NFL history. Even though it produced, uh, who was it? Who was it? Uh, DeAndre Hopkins and um, Travis Kelsey. Um, but yeah, that's just the point to example where the first quarterback taken was EJ Manuel. Um, but uh, even, Danny remembers. Oh. <laughs> I know you remember too. <laughs> oh yeah, but um, but no, that's the thing. Like you don't have to reach. Like even 2016, where it was Goff and Wentz. Like were Goff and Wentz are they truly number one and number two overall guys? Not really. Like I know Goff had his went to a Super Bowl and Wentz had the MVP season, but since Wentz tore his ACL, he hasn't been the same level quarterback. Right. So it just goes to show your point. Yeah. Saying like, look, NFL GMs have to realize it's like. For example, when you distract someone with a shiny new object, it's like, oh, we have to have this. It's just like, no. I feel like with a lot of these GMs of drafting, you, it's like us with, it's like I like to say with Betty. Don't overthink it. Go with what you logically think and go with what you want to go with. Yeah, it's like, I mean, you look at the, I mean, you look at the teams that win the draft. You know, yeah, everybody's going to do their due diligence. Everybody's going to do their prep work going in. But when you're able to just kind of, you know, Take the board for what it is, analyze what's in front of you, and you marry need with talent. You know, I mean, that, that's why, like, you know, the Ravens typically do extremely well in the draft. And even look at, you know, the Cowboys, did they expect to see CeeDee Lamb fall into their lap? No, but they acted, and now he's an integral part of why they're so damn good this year. Exactly. Like, that, that's a perfect example with CeeDee Lamb because. That wasn't drafting on me. That was drafting on who was best available. And he was the best available player in that moment. It was fed with some criticism, but we've, we've seen it happen. He had the beautiful tiptoe touchdown catch yesterday. And now we show that, look, C.D. Lamb is a franchise-caliber wide receiver. Yep. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's you compare that to the whole – you get these teams that, that go in with a plan. You know, we're fixated. We're in love with this particular player. And then and you wind up with a Mitchell Trubisky-type situation. I still say the San Francisco 49ers did their job in policing him. Also, with the, with the uh, Baltimore Ravens, I have to give you their 1996 first round. Do you want to know why? Because at pick number four, they took Jonathan Ogden. And then at pick 26, they took Ray Lewis. Both are now in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That is the greatest first round that a team has ever had, in my opinion. Yeah. No, that's gonna be up there, and, and that was their that was their inaugural draft, right? Inaugural draft as the Ravens of Baltimore, as, yeah. as the Ravens of Baltimore, right? That's right. Five years later, they won the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's it, man. It's foundation. It's foundation. Know your identity as a team and build out from there. Yeah, Ozzie Newsom is one of those guys who legitimately could be in the Hall of Fame as a player, which I believe he already is, and he could be in there as a contributor. Yeah, um, I actually I made my first trip to the Ravens Stadium uh, a couple of years ago when they played uh, they played the Jets um, on, th- on a Thursday night game in December. Had to be like ten degrees outside, but um, uh, I, I got a lot of love for that franchise because uh, um, one of my best buds, uh, him and his brother, are diehard fans, and um, uh, I got to say that that stadium is a tremendous uh, atmosphere for football. That fan base is really passionate. 
Um, that was definitely one of the one of uh, the more memorable NFL experiences I've had over the last few years. No problem. I've only been to a couple of NFL stadiums in my life. Oh, I've been to a few, but I've only been for an NFL for two because two don't really count because obviously the only time I went to Miami was for WrestleMania 28. The only time I was for AT&T Stadium was for 32. And I've been to the Superdome in Orleans for both Mania 34 and mm. for a Saints game in 2019. But next year, I'm hoping to get out to a Gillette Stadium for a game finally. Uh, same here. All the NFL stadiums I've been to, I, I've been there more for like WrestleMania than, than football. I've only seen football in a handful of stadiums. Uh, same. It's just, I guess it's just easier to plan for. And obviously yeah. it's like the, it's the whole once a year thing. Um, but uh, I just want to move on to some of the games from yesterday because there's some, something I've talked to. Uh, obviously, uh, look, there are some crazy games like Thursday night, for example, the Ravens beating the Dolphins. Oh, the Dolphins being the Ravens. Yeah, yeah, no, they, 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 I wish they did. <laughs> um, but for me, though, I took, yeah. like, 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 like how I'm saying for next Monday night, how to take the Ravens, or how to take the, my mind's all over the place, how to take the Giants to cover the points. I did the same with the Dolphins because I was just, I had a feeling of, like, this is too, too many points. I didn't like it. And the Ravens somehow won. The only downfall of this game is I wish they had counted the Robert Hunt touchdown. Ah, yeah, that was, oh, he was ineligible, but that was one of the more um, unbelievable <laughs> plays you'll ever see. I mean, that that was, it would have been, that guy would have lived forever. Like, that would have been an irreplaceable highlight clip. You know, you'd see that in montages. They'd show that until the end of time, if that counted. Like the James Harrison touchdown in Super Bowl Forty Three. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, the acrobatics there. The guy's doing a full rotation and has the wherewithal. Like, how do you even like get your freaking equilibrium to know where you're at to stick the damn ball out? Like, you know, for all you know, you could be sticking it the other direction. <laughs> exactly. My only thing with this game is that I know you like Baltimore, but my thing with Baltimore still is to me, they're and we'll get into this in a minute. They're like Dallas, though. Like, they can do whatever they want in the regular season. But it's the postseason for me where I'm like, okay, look, prove your worth now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I kind of – I actually see the Ravens more as like the Colts. I, I compare them more to the Colts because they're a team that, that they're always a contender every year. Harbaugh always has this team. Uh, they, they usually make the playoffs, and they usually win at least one game as well. They, they rarely go one and done. All the flack that Lamar Jackson's, you know, that he gets – I mean, yeah, they, they disappointed when they went 14-2 and two that year, and they looked like world beaters. Um, but last year, um, beating the Titans and then uh, losing a hideous uh, weather game in Buffalo. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they do – I think it's, a, it's an Indianapolis Colts-Peyton Manning thing where they make the playoffs so often uh, that, you know, it, it's really hard to go to the Super Bowl. And when you're constantly in the playoffs, you, lo- you know, naturally – that means you're losing all these playoff games. But I do think that Lamar has taken a serious step forward this year as a passer. I mean, finally, we're seeing Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown emerge as legitimate um, elite receivers in this league. You know, I think um, a couple of years ago, um, people might look at him like saying like they had the potential to be a poor man's Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And this year, I think we're kind of seeing that come to fruition and Lamar's having to do more because of all the injuries to their running backs. So now they have a patchwork um, running back core. And, yeah, I mean, that, that comeback against Indianapolis, that Monday night game, like, that was out of this world. And the team ain't perfect. They're, they, they got injuries. They're, they're banged up with uh, in the secondary. 
Um, obviously, again, uh, you know, with the limitations at running back. Uh, so they, they're not running the ball like they have done in recent years, and their defense has not been as locked down as it's been in the past. But I look at the AFC, it's sorely lacking dominant teams right now. I give them as good a chance as anybody. I, I still think yeah, I, this is the thing I actually love about the NFL this year is that there's parity in the league. You know, where you don't have, like, obviously, yes, we know the teams that are kind of like at, at the level where we're like, look, weeks fully expect them to be there and contending in January. Yeah. But then, too, there are the team, like, the rest, like, this wild card race, it's, it's really like one week can change everything for one team. So that's what I like about the NFL. And even to some of the divisional races, I don't think there's going to be. I, if you had to ask me right now if there's any division spoken for, I would only say probably Tennessee and maybe the Packers and, and the, Tennessee and the Cowboys, I would say for sure. Sorry. But no, yeah, yeah. The, and maybe <laughs> the Packers. I'd only say three out of the eight divisions are probably already spoken for. Like the North, you still don't know. The East, even two. I'm not, I'm not being biased. I'm not being a homer here. That's still anyone's that. There's two teams in that division. I think. Oh, of, of course, of course. The play, the Patriots have been playing so well lately. You guys are only uh, what, like maybe a game behind the uh, Buffalo at this point, or a half game. Oh, uh, we're we're a half. Sorry to cut you off, but we're a half game back because they are six and three, and we're six and four. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely in the race. Absolutely in the race. And uh, I mean, I, I definitely think that uh, Mac Jones uh, has been playing kind of out of his mind lately, and uh, um. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that people expected the Patriots to take as much of a leap forward offensively as they have. Um, I think a lot of people expected there to be some growing pains. I thought that the Dolphins were going to be, you know, the, the number two team in that division. And I thought that the Patriots uh, were going to kind of struggle bust their way to about an eight and nine record. But uh, yeah, I mean, that now they're right there with Buffalo and uh, Buffalo, some, you know, uh, they... They were looking like world beaters early in the season. They've kind of come back down to earth um, a little bit uh, just with that awful loss to Jacksonville where, you know, we talked about the players just looking unmotivated and lost on the sidelines. I don't know what it is about these Florida games when these um, teams from up north come down there. They can't adjust to the heat. And But I don't know. We see some weird stuff. I, I think that that's kind of what had happened with the Thursday night game as well because – there's something about the Dolphins over the years, even the, the years where they have worse records, they just seem to play better in Miami. I don't know if because the atmosphere is just really rough on visitors with the humidity. Um, are you paying attention to what's going on in this game right now? You might be uh, a little ahead of me if something weird just happened. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh my gosh. What? <laughs> Like, I know the the Rams have done this before and stuff. Go for but, it like, all, man. Go for it all. Screw it. Oh, uh, this is a game set. I I I, uh, I even though I picked the Rams on the spread, I knew I had a feeling like San Francisco was going to get this because they needed this game. San Francisco, did, yeah, they did. Um, they they definitely um need this one. Uh, after after that loss to Arizona, but I mean, no, no exactly. It's, oh oh so oh oh my oh so he didn't get it. No. Oh my. Oh geez. Uh, uh, the angle of it. I, I didn't realize how far, how um, how far out they were. Shit. Take the points. Not... Take the points. Yeah. I understand doing that if this was like a tie game right now because it's like okay, look, there's twelve seconds left, but you're down by fourteen. You're down by two scores. It, like you said, Jared. Take the points. A, it still would have been a crap. Even if they made it, it's a crapshoot if you're going to get the touchdown or not. 
You get like what, like a crack or two at the end zone? Yeah, exactly. And who knows if you get it there? It's one of those plays where if you get it, you look smart. If you don't, you look like an idiot. You look stupid. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and the, that Rams, the Rams defense lately, it's just, um, it is, it has not been uh, nearly uh, as dominant as they they were last year. We just seen this all the time in the league. I feel like you see these defenses that are great one season, and then the next year, like. You know, they got the reputation, and they have, you know, the on paper, but for some reason, teams are moving the ball down the field on them. Exactly, exactly. Um, I want to, since we were actually just talking about it right before that play, I had to bring it up because I was going to go by my schedule because the next game I had was Tampa, the football team at all. I can, we'll talk about that in a bit. But I got I to gotta pump my team's tires for a second because yesterday, I was just going into the game being like, look, I just want a cool, good, close football game, you know, like a 24 to 21 kind of game. Instead, I get 45 unanswered points by the New England Patriots. When Cleveland went down the field and ran it perfectly on that opening drive, I'm like, we're in for a long day. But then I was basically saying, it was like Rocky, you know, where he's like, it's not about how hard you can get hit, but it's how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. That is exactly what the Patriots did yesterday. They got punched in the mouth, and then they punched back until the ref called the game. By that, or the ref called the fight. That's literally what they did yesterday. And, look, I know everyone's focused now on how Cleveland's not exactly there. Baker Mayfield not, may not be elite. But yesterday, literally, Bill Belichick did what Bill Belichick does best. He takes away what your best player is good at. When you make Baker Mayfield have to throw the ball and you get outrushed, I, I don't know if you saw this. If, he gets out, if the Cleveland Browns get outrushed, he is 0-15 when it's by 50 yards or more. And I think he's only won, like, two or three games – when it's getting outrushed by, uh, I want to say, under 50 yards. So, like, Cle- Cleveland's got some work to do. But even now, like, how last week their fan base was, you know, hey, everything's great, everything's fine, we're going to go to the playoffs. This week it's not, like, Pac-Man, we're done, go Cavs, all this stuff. So that's what I mean where this year, these November games are so important and crucial to the point where, look, this game, and even Jackson with the Patriots, they have their game that happened a couple weeks ago against the LA Chargers. I said those games are going to count for what happens in January. Now with New England, look, we're six and four. This time last year, we were three and five. So the fact that we're um, so actually no, we were four and five after after this point last year. But still, the fact that it's two additional wins more. I haven't felt this good since probably at this time of year since probably 2018 when we were like. Cruising and going. Obviously, 2019, they went 12 and 4, but that was the bad loss to Baltimore. And then this time, I think, it was the bye week. So, my whole thing with New England this year was like, look, whatever happens, happens. I knew we had an improvement, but I was always looking long term. I was doing that too after the Saints game, where we actually got our ass kicked. And we were 1 and 2 at that point, and then obviously 1 and 3 to the box. I was like, okay, look, we have our core locked in. We have a window with Matt. But a few games changes that perception of where, look, I think playoffs are a real possibility now. I'm not coming out here saying, you know, Super Bowl, seven rings, all this stuff. No, I still don't think that's going to happen. But I will say this. You can change my tune on that if we do beat the Falcons on Thursday like we're supposed to. The Titans next Sunday, which is going to be a huge game. But in three weeks, Monday, December 6th, Patriots go to Orchard Park to play the Bills on Monday Night Football. That game right there is going to go a long way, in my opinion, to determining who wins this division. So if New England can keep this up, I think we're right in there. But if not, and the season doesn't end the way we want it to, look, I think the future is very bright in Foxborough. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're definitely uh, set up, for, um, you know, in prime position uh, to nail at least one of those wild card spots, especially with the addition of the third and the, the seventh seed. And I think that this could definitely be comparable to, you know, Lamar Jackson's rookie year uh, for Baltimore a couple of years ago, where um, they, surprisingly you, you thought it, they were just kind of taking the L on the season uh, for the sake of getting him some reps. But as it turns out, uh, they, they, you know, they put some wins together and enough to get to the playoffs. So um, I think that the Patriots, uh, like, like you pointed out, you know, this early success can be not, it, it can be nothing but good for max development in the future of this team, getting his confidence up, experiencing that instant success as a rookie. And he's playing well too. It's not, the team's not carrying him, but you know, he, he's definitely looked like the best of the rookie quarterbacks by a pretty uh, considerable margin so far. And you you look at a team uh, like this that, uh, you know, there's room for improvement as far as uh, their personnel on offense. And this could and if you're able to get into the playoffs, whether it's a division title or a wild card spot, not sure how far they're going to go. But it's a prime, uh, you know, they put themselves in a prime position to build off of this and, you know, fortify the team moving forward. And before you know it, the Patriots could be right back to where they were during the Brady years where they're a perennial playoff contender division favorite because the bills you know the the bills are they there's a lot of great things about that team but they're not superhuman um and they're definitely vulnerable so who knows maybe the patriots will capitalize on this momentum and keep it rolling no exactly 100 percent. i agree with you on everything like i i'll say this now though i think that if we were to get into the playoffs we're that team that no one wants to play i think we're that team that you know we're going to be a hard out. It's not going to be, oh, hey, the Patriots made it. It's like an easy just, you know, hey, look, it's like a bye week game where you're more than guaranteed to make the divisional rounds if they win the wild card. Because I doubt we'll get the one seed. If you would ask me right now in the AFC, I would put it on the Titans to get the one seed. The Titans, I think, still are by far the best team in the AFC. My only thing with New England is, look, whatever happens, happens. I still think we will make it, though, because of the window and also the fact, too, that, look, oh, there's a lot of teams right now, like, Look at the AFC West, for example, like teams like LA, Denver, and Vegas, who were prominent but all lost and all are not looking good. Like the Raiders are starting to Raider, where they get off to these hot starts, but then November, December, they falter and they'll go three and five down the stretch. Uh, the Colts are a mystery week to week. And yeah, then the AFC North, you don't know what you're gonna get. Yeah, I think that the uh, I think that the Patriots and uh, um, the Patriots, Bills, Colts, and Titans are all in such a good spot to make the playoffs, I think, just because you have these uh, these punching bag teams beneath you. I mean, you know, maybe the Dolphins are, have been playing a little. I think that I think the Dolphins have been one of the most disappointing teams of the season in terms of a team that I think was going to be good and have a winning record, uh, possibly, and uh, they've just uh, really kind of shit the bed most weeks. Um, but, you know, with Dolphins, Jets, Jaguars, Texans all considerably out of the hunt, um, you know, there's separation there, whereas in the AFC North and the AFC West, all eight of those teams are contenders. So naturally, when you get that, you're just going to get, um, you know, a lot of trading wins and losses and keeping each other at that 500 ish level. So the Patriots um, have more of an opportunity to kind of create some separation, even if they miss on the division title, probably lock up one of those wild card spots. 
Um, I think the, the AFC North in particular is, is a division that just uh, absolutely puzzles me because I think the I still maintain I think the Steelers are the worst team in that division and I think they're going to still finish in last place. And I'm sorry, but if if you needed to, you needed to go to overtime to beat Geno Smith and the Seahawks, and then you go to a tie with the Lions. I don't care that uh, their the franchise reputation, the fact that Big Ben is still there. Like this, this team, th- this team is not that good at all. No, no, like literally, the the Steelers are just that team. Like Ben should have retired after last season. We all know yeah. that. That's like the worst kept secret. Is he still a first ballot Hall of Famer though? Yes, but he's going out on a bad note where everyone's going to look at that and go, "Oh, is he? Is he not? I don't know." Uh, the yep. Bengals, I still think the Bengals are a year away. I think that they're going to have those moments, you know, where they're their own worst enemy and then they punch, like, they punch themselves in the foot. Like, they kick the, like, they basically, what do they not punch themselves in the foot? They find a way to punch themselves in the face. I know that sounds really weird, but yeah. I just, that's how I see it with them. And then Baltimore, I think, wins the division. And then Cleveland, Cleveland, I'm going to quote a great pop song from the two, early 2000s. Um, <laughs> Another I second. am my own worst enemy. That is Cleveland. Cleveland is their own worst enemy. Are, are they their worst enemy, though, or is Cincinnati? Uh, I'd still say Baltimore because that's the <laughs> team that they've always struggled with is the Baltimore Ravens. If They, they, play, they still have to play Baltimore twice. Like, New England has to play Buffalo twice. I think if New- uh, oh you're oh you're talking oh you're talking in terms of who's oh in terms of the Ravens winning the division yeah I, I agree with that I think the Ravens are they're they're the most together of of everybody for sure and I think I think they're the most talented um, but uh, the the, uh, the the Browns and Browns and Bengals it's just it's it's interesting that you know because I get the feeling like one of them's gonna make it and one of them's not because they play in the same division um, and the, the the AFC West I think is there's too much talent there for only one team to make the playoffs over there. So, man, it's, it's going to be really tough. Maybe. Oh. Well, if you, if, if, you guys, if you guys get in, that means that, yeah, if you guys get in, that means between the Colts and those North teams and those West teams, you know, there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of talented teams that aren't going to make it. That's what I still see this year. I, there was always a list that I compared going into the year where it was like, there's a set amount of teams I can see that making, and there was nine teams in the AFC where I was like, okay, look, I think they have a shot to make it. The only ones I did at the beginning of the year were the Bengals, the Broncos. I said the Raiders because I just didn't, I didn't know what to get out of them going into 2021 plus two. They didn't really have the best free agency in draft. And then obviously the Jags, the Texans, and the Jets because those three are just like there's. They're just bad. They're not. They're not ready to contend. And I, and the Bengals too, because like with the Bengals, we didn't know what to expect. But I still think this year the Bengals are the team. You know where you need that. Like I think you need that whole. Or not. You don't even need it. But I just think that look, when it comes to experience, good teams know how to find ways to win football games during these last now six weeks of the season. Because obviously we're already in week eleven. It's Christmas. Christmas is coming around the corner. As I see a Christmas Amazon commercial on my TV. But this is a time of year when, look, good football teams know how to hone in and win football games. That's why I feel like, look, and I'll say this too with Kansas State Chiefs. I still think they're a good team that will win the division, but to go far in the playoffs, they, they, they have to beat the Cowboys this Sunday. Because if they go out there and they get clowned by the Cowboys, last week's going to be one of those things, you know, where it was like, okay, you, it's like, oh, hey, yeah, we killed the Raiders. Yeah, sure. 
But when you face the true Super Bowl contender, and that pains me to see, say because I hate the Dallas Cowboys, you need to win that game or win it convincingly. Because if you go out there and you lay an egg against the Dallas Cowboys, then back to square one where this week everyone's like, oh, look, Kansas City, playoff contenders. Like, oh, we're back. We never went away. Look at us. But then now it's like, okay, but if you lose this game, it's okay, now what? You know? Yeah, no, I, I definitely hear that. Um, I think that the – I mean, the Ra- the Raiders have definitely um, – just with this season, all the drama, you know, with Gruden and then Henry Ruggs, uh, they've kind of forfeited a lot of that early season momentum. And honestly, they stole a couple wins in games that they really – like, Like they, they beat the Ravens. I, th- I feel like the Ravens kind of beat themselves in that game. Uh, so I think they've been playing a little bit over their head. Nonetheless, I do think last night was a big get-right game for Kansas City because it looked like the Chiefs' offense that we've come to expect over the last several years where you've just got Kelsey and Hill operating as absolute machines out there. And I do, but that being said, I don't expect the Chiefs to go back to the Super Bowl. It's so hard to go to go there three years in a row. I mean, um, they're definitely going to be a force to be reckoned with in the playoffs. They're probably going to win a game or two. But I just think it's the year where the Bills and the Ra- and the Ravens they're going to run into one of those teams and they're going to get beat because they've seen the competition. They have played each other the last several years. The same, like Lamar, Josh Allen, Mahomes. It's not going to be the same outcome every single time when you have all these high-powered offenses. It's not like you can't possibly have the same result every time they play. And we saw that earlier in the year when the Ravens finally got over the hump. They fi- I know I'm pumping the, the up the Ravens big time here, but maybe it's not them. You know, um, like you pointed out, maybe a team like the Patriots is going to surprise people like that one year when the, the Titans went to the championship game at 9-7. and seven. Maybe it's the Titans that are going to take the next step forward. But either way, I think that the Chiefs are definitely going to get bounced. They might not even make it to the conference championship game just because it's so hard to do this every single year. I, I feel like the Patriots created a wrong standard in football by where every team comes out here and thinks, you know what, hey, we can win six game, six championships, no problem. You know, we can make it to the conference finals in 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Yeah. Where, you know, I feel like Kansas City's on this precedence. I think their fans expect it. Like, every year, hey, look, we're going to be playing championship Sunday. Which, I will say this until the day I die, but losing that game hurts more than losing the Super Bowl. Because the Super Bowl, you know what? You made it. With the conference championship losses, those ones sting because you were so close. Because it's, you know why? Because it's all lumped into the playoffs. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's still the playoffs. And it's not the game that everybody watches, that the non-football casuals watch. They don't, they still, it might be the conference championship, but the casuals aren't watching that game. They're just watching the Super Bowl. Um, so I, I definitely feel you on that one. Um, and, and also, you know, and then this is no knock whatsoever on the, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not big red on here trying to poo poo Tom Brady and all his accomplishments. Um, but <laughs> during most of the Brady era, you guys did have the benefit of playing in an extremely bad division where most years, none of the three were contenders and a, a year like this, you see how competitive the AFC is. I mean, mo- like most years for the Patriots, they did not have to deal with, um, you know, what, what the Chiefs are dealing with this year, which is like their entire division being a dogfight. And, you know, the, the Chiefs have certainly regressed in many areas, kind of looking discombobulated. But there was definitely a, you know, a um, the, the Patriots could kind 
kind of, you know, blow through those division rivals, rack up those W's, and make sure that January went through Foxborough. So that's just not a it's just not a luxury that most teams are going to have. Most teams are not going to play an in division where three other teams are so incompetently run. No, exactly. Like obviously I know that that was for sure. Like the Jets weren't that good of a team. Obviously they had their couple of seasons where they were good. And then Buffalo was just never there. Miami was always like back at square one. But yep. now, like once Tom left, this is all I asked for with the AFC. More importantly, the AFC East, that there's just competition. Now, honestly, I expected Miami not to be three and seven at this point. I expected them to be maybe, I don't know, five and five, four and six, somewhere in that range at this point. Obviously, they, there was a couple of games that they should have won that they lost, like example, Atlanta or the Jacksonville game in London. But, um, but no, for the most part, right now, as a, as a pass fan, as a good run. Sorry to cut, sorry to spoil that for you. But um, with good run. The, oh, no, no. Oh, by the Niners? Oh, geez, this game is breaking my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I, you know, I mean, uh, Rams, it's, it's another, one of the, another one of those teams that I, I enjoy rooting for. And it, 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 it upsets me to see them play so freaking terrible the last couple of weeks. But, uh, hey, there's still a. There's still a whole half of football left. Maybe Matt Stafford will uh, get it right uh, in my in the, the in the uh, the YWC football league. Actually, uh, my my team uh, that is uh, near the top of the standings, uh, but we're probably gonna eh, we're pretty much guaranteed to lose this week. Oh man, I'm just sweating out right now because they keep running all these. Uh, they they're not passing that much. I just need them to start passing. Um, I also feel like this is a game San Francisco started to have because I don't know how many episodes you've listened to lately. But I've been starting to get on the uh, Kyle Shanahan should be fired or at least on the hot seat train because if you look at their seasons besides 2019, they haven't haven't really accomplished much. We talked about this uh, during the season uh, preview. Good memory. Yep. And uh, for the Niners and the Cardinals, this was going to be a make-or-break year. And due to the competitiveness of this division, it's, it was hard to see both of them making it because we know we expected the Rams to be as good as uh, they are. And, and it's funny that we're talking about this in a game where the Niners are currently beating them by 14 points. But at 4-5, and five, you know, you, uh, it doesn't look so good. Uh, they certainly got a chance. But even if you sneak into the playoffs and – Losing the first round. I mean, I, I just think that the, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Niners are kind of, uh, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like that Giants syndrome where you look on paper like they're, they're, the talent should be here for a winning record, but for some reason or another, by hook or by crook, they just can't can't put it all together. I mean, I, I do think at the, the, the flux of the quarterback situation, you rarely see teams with a winning record who um, have uncertain quarterback situations. And with... Jimmy G being kind of hot and cold and putting Lance in the first round and he hasn't really shown what you what you've wanted out of him what uh, certainly not what you know what you're seeing with Mac Jones over in New England and it's just when you have that level of uncertainty at quarterback it's usually indicative of a year in transition not a playoff year and yeah at that point you know, the, the coach kind of takes the heat. It's a it's a league, you know, based on results. And uh, franchises like the 49ers, they, uh, you know, you thought that they arrived early when they went to the Super Bowl against Kansas City, right? And yeah. to, to, to see that regression, it's it's been pretty, it, it must be pretty frustrating for, for that franchise and their fans. 
you know, what was I going to say here? It's just one of those things with the Niners where I feel like they're either hot or they're like they're really on it or they're really just not on it, you know? Like, it's just one of those things where they, if they can figure out a fine line of, hey, good football to, like, not good football, like, and they can play more good football, it only work in their favor. The only take from that NFC preview show that I'm still standing by and I honestly think it's going to happen is the Seahawks missing the playoffs. And sorry, Alex, but I said that back in September. I remember Danny and I were both on that big time with Seattle missing the yeah, playoffs. And I, right now, it's, it's looking like that. You know, I would really like to go back to find out um, uh, where I stood on that if I predicted them to make the playoffs because I know that I definitely expressed doubt, and I really hope that I had the balls to say they wouldn't make it because I was not feeling this team going into the year, and I I said that they very much had the potential to finish in last place. And where are we after week at week ten? At, at at best, they're going to be in a tie for last place. <laughs> Especially with their division, because if you look at their schedule too, they would effectively have to run the table just to go eleven and six. But I can't see them doing that when they still have to play the Rams again. They still have to play the Cardinals twice. You have to play the Niners twice. Um, yeah, that they do. Games. Yeah, they they do have. To, I mean, they've got some. They've got some easy games. Like they play. Well, well, I don't know how easy they are. I mean, they're they're, they're, three, and six, they're, they're a three and six team. They're they're just as bad as Washington. Uh, Washington. They play Houston, and uh, they've got yeah. The last couple of games are Bears and Lions, so maybe they get a they can get a couple there. But playoffs definitely do look like a long shot, just because over the next few weeks you've got Rams, you've got Rams, Niners, Cardinals. So they they play yeah each um, each to the rivals uh, once more, and um, and oh, there's a week eighteen, and they play the Cardinals a second time. So <laughs> they, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm expecting probably. I mean, looking at this, I'm I'm seeing like eight and nine as like best case scenario, and yeah, probably. I mean, and this team, it's just like they've really whittled down over the years to becoming uh, kind of a one trick pony in terms of all you're really getting out of them is when they're on, like Russell Wilson to DK Metcalf. That's about all they offer their defense can't stop a nosebleed not particularly good at running the football um offensive line keeps breaking down um it's just a it's just a a team that feels like they need uh kind of an overhaul exactly i think it's just like needs a fresh coat of paint if you will i'm not saying Pete carroll should be fired or anything but i'm just saying like you know what? I think change wouldn't be the worst thing for this team. I feel like, like, how do I say this? I think they're still trying to hang on to the glory days. Like, you know how the Bears fans do, where Bears fans kind of live and die to, like, 1985? Sure. I feel like the Seahawks won Super Bowl. I feel like some of them are still, they're still trying to be like, hey, everything's good. You know, our defense is a legion of boom. Russ is going to cook. But in reality, I don't think it's that. I still, I still say this, too, that look, Tom Brady, the Patriots broke that team. I, I know it sounds a little homerish on my end, but like they haven't made yeah. back to even a conference championship game since that season when they lost the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean it's a definitely uh, it, it's definitely a you know a worthy point to be made. I mean, you hear about how after that, like it just led to like players you know pointing fingers and uh, you know the distrust of Pete Carroll and. All of a sudden, the Legion of Boom uh, splintered very quickly. It, it really is amazing in this league how how quickly good defenses 
um, just uh, get broken up. Like you look at uh, Jacksonville, Saxonville a couple of years ago, right? Like, you know, almost immediately all those players uh, were shipped out of town and, and they've gone like right back to irrelevancy. And I think, yeah, you can kind of trace back to that Super Bowl against the Patriots because so much uh, it, that was such a play call is really one of the most pivotal moments in modern NFL history or, may, or maybe all time NFL history, just because of the um, how it changed the trajectory of so many careers for the people involved. I mean, you think about uh, if the Patriots lose that game, does Belichick get his way and get Brady out of there a few years earlier than they did? And if so, you're missing out on more rings. Including the, because obviously this week is, is Falcons week, and i got to bring it up, 28-3. 28-3. But I'll say this, too. I will admit this. I remember that Super Bowl because I remember there was the curse play, and I'm like, not again. Like, the same stadium. You know, it's Phoenix. Yes, in the University of Phoenix Stadium. And they get the down, and then we stop them. And I remember the interception happened, but I, like, blacked out in the moment where, like, I didn't realize what was going on, and then I realized that he intercepted it, and I just, like, it was like I'm, I remember it was at my house and my parents had some people over. I had a couple of buddies who were Pat's hands over, and we all just collectively lost it when we realized, like, okay, the Patriots are about to win this game. Yep. Yeah, like, honestly, one of the great that apart from that, um, because I'll say this too when I'm gonna go to the 28 3, because I think I told this story before, I didn't think they were gonna win until they brought it within eight with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and I was like, okay, we got a shot at coming back. I think once once they made it a one score game, yeah, at that point that that was when it was like, okay, it's a wrap. Um, it it was. I need you to go on YouTube after we're done here and look up the Dante Hightower strip sack from that game, which I still yeah. say to this day is the play that changed the trajectory of that game because it was third down. We were in Atlanta, like it was in Atlanta territory. I think on like their thirty five yard line. Devontae Freeman misses his assignment. Matt, Dante Hightower sacks Matt Ryan, gets the strip. Allen, uh, Allen Branch recovers, and then that's when the Patriots went down and made it. That was 28 to 12 at that time, and then that's when they went down, and got the two point conversion, made it 28 to 20. That, yeah, that was the moment where it was like, okay, like, you know, within one score, late game, Brady, Belichick. Okay, I've seen this story before. Um, I, I, I still mean, I think the Falcons are just about the only team in the, in the league that could have done that. <laughs> to I mean, you know, maybe the Lions they, they wouldn't have gotten there in the first place, but the you wouldn't expect any team that's good enough to make it to the Super Bowl to just lose control to that degree. Um, you know, you, you got an effective running your game, getting away from the run, just leaving the Patriots all the time in the world to to get their points, and yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was like Christmas for you, but. Wow, what 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 an eye roll for the rest of us. <laughs> Just a complete up and down. I remember I started doing like weird things, like weird superstitions after the Patriots were making plays in that game constantly. And I remember one friend who was just trying to fuck with me, kept like ruining that and everything. So whenever like the, I would go to like shake someone's hand again, I'm like, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. Because he's like, like you know, I get friends like rooting against your team just to be like dick or whatever. But it right. was what it was. So now I look at all those as fun memories. If they lost, it'd be a different story. Um, as I look on the scoreboard for the rest of week week ten, there's not a lot of like significance that like happened, but like obviously there's some big scores like obviously like Buffalo killing New York, Dallas killing Atlanta, Kansas City beating up on uh, Vegas. The only other one too was like Seattle, uh, Green Bay beating up on Seattle. Um, 
But that wasn't even really a beat-up game. That was a struggle bus game that they pulled away in the fourth quarter. It was 3 nothing at the end of the third. Oh, shit. I thought it was 3 nothing at the end of the half. Sorry. I was driving home from the cottage during the game, so I was only listening. I didn't realize that it was 3 nothing until the um, – I didn't realize it was 3 nothing until the uh, end of the third quarter. But, uh, like, obviously, it was like, – when I say it was a blowout, just because obviously it was 17 nothing. And I sure. But, um, but with that game, though – I don't want to come like I. I also said this too about the game. I said all week long that game is gonna the under was gonna hit for that game. It was forty nine and a half. I, once I found out that the weather was gonna be bad, on top of we didn't know what to expect from Rodgers coming off COVID. We didn't know what to expect from Wilson and his finger, which ESPN apparently made it seem like he was coming back from like a torn ACL. Um, right. My whole thing with the Packers right now is their defense is playing well, but at the same time too, I gotta see. I want to see more out of them. Like, I want to see them actually, you know, beat up on a good team. Like, they're playing this Rams team in two weeks. And if we get the same Rams team that we've got in the last couple of weeks, it could be a different story. But that game's going to be in the 425, excuse me, prime Fox slot to where, look, the Packers got, I think that's a game the Packers got to have. And then, too, the Packers get a prime spot again when they host the Browns on Christmas Day. So we'll see where that goes for that team. But all in all, all I can say about the season right now that I love so much is, like I said before, in both leagues, there's parody. There's parody. And that's all I've asked for for years for the NFL, even all the, during the Patriots' dominance. You always want to see, like, competition. You want to see someone, like, you know, you want to see, like, hey, what's next? Like, what's good? And then um, even in the NFC, too, there's um, levels of parody to the point of, like, you don't really know where each uh, – where each game or each week's going to go. That's why they say the expression, man, any given Sunday. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think that the NFC, um, a lot of the division winners look like foregone conclusions and they have looked that way for the better part of, uh, the last, I'm really, you know, most, much of the season. Um, although, uh, the NFC West is kind of the one in flux, um, because with, with Kyler Murray, um, you know, getting hurt and, uh, allowing the Rams the opportunity to kind of close the gap on the cards. Um, if they can find a way to come back tonight, uh, even it up. But even, but even if not, they, they're going to have opportunities in the coming weeks to potentially leapfrog them in the standings. But the wild card race is very much in flux, especially with the addition of this seventh seed. You are, you know, you're seeing a lot of these teams are still pretty much every team in the NFC is alive in the wild card race except for the Lions. Everybody else, because they all, they all have at least three wins, and the right now, six and seven are the Saints at five and four, and the Panthers at five and five. And somehow the, the freaking Falcons were, <laughs> they had the seventh seed just about a week ago. So it's, uh, it's exciting. A lot of these teams that you thought were dead to rights, kind of like the Giants um, or the Bears, are, actually having an opportunity to maybe squeak their way in. And it, it's at least going to create meaningful football the rest of the way, which I, which I think is probably the best thing about this new, about this uh, extra wildcard team is that a lot of these teams where you think that they're written off at the bye week, it is going to create more meaningful football games. Exactly. There's all those one o'clock and four o'clock games that like in years past would not mean much to anything now means something. And also, too, I will say this. I have a bit of a hot take. I still feel like the NFC South could potentially be up for grabs just because I know they've had a rough couple of games, but I feel like the Saints are very unpredictable to where, look, one week they can have a game where maybe they 
put up a goose egg, but then the next week they can come out and just be guns blazing. Obviously, the quarterback situation is a little impacted right now. Well, we gotta I, I'm yeah. still going to say this, though. I think Tampa still wins the division, but I still think the Saints are going to be that team that doesn't go away. Well, we got to remember, I mean, I mean, they they were on the road against Tennessee with Trevor Simeon as their quarterback, no Alvin Kamara, and they ultimately lost by two points. So I, I the Saints, they appear to be undermanned. This is probably the weakest roster that the Saints have fielded in a very long time, but they still do. There's still talent there. You still got Kamara, and you still got Sean Payton. Payton... Good case for being the best coach in that division. So I would, I also would not rule them out. And I know they've been saying this about Brady for years, but you know he played like crap against Washington, and we have seen it with these veteran quarterbacks before. Sometimes when it goes, it goes very, very quickly. And the they've got they had a lot of injuries coming into this game. Um, the secondary has been banged up. Maybe that catches up to them in the second half of this season. Tampa, I certainly think will make the playoffs, but the division title is not a foregone conclusion. That's what I was trying to say. Like, I don't think it's going to be, you know, like how everyone was saying before, like, oh, Tampa's going to run away with it. This is theirs to, like, you know, get. They're going to be this good team and everything. That's what I'm trying to say with Tampa. Like, Tampa's been struggling. I feel like maybe them bringing back everyone kind of is maybe hurting them a bit. But for all we know, look, and you may not like this, but for all we know, they could either go out there and have a close game with the Giants next week, or they can kill the Giants. I feel like there's no real in-between with that, you know, where it's not going to be like a 7- or a 10-point game. I feel like this is going to be either a 3-point game or like a 25-point game. Sure. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, I mean, yeah, you talk about keeping everybody together. Oh, we, we just won the Super Bowl. Ain't broke, don't fix it. But you think about how hard it is to repeat in this league – it's like, and I mean, this team, they, they, they only went 11 and five last year. I mean, I know they had a big winning streak to end the season, but um, I, I just think I, I thought going in that the idea that this team was going to go like 14 and three, and I guess they could still get there if they run the table. I, I just didn't see them as this team that was just going to run roughshod over the entire, over the competition. And I mean, shit, the Panthers might actually still have a chance with, if McCaffrey does stay healthy, I mean, that, that looked like a different team against Arizona. Granted, they, they were missing people, but still, for them to score 34, did we think that the, the Panthers would be capable of that a week ago? Oh, God, no. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, that's another, you know, it's up for grabs. I mean, you got some, you know, Panthers and Saints could be sneaky. That might end up being, um, you know, maybe just as competitive as the West. Uh, I think NF, NFC East, we probably only see one playoff team out of there. Um, I would probably be pretty surprised if the Eagles, Washington, or Giants were able to steal a wild card spot. But if you know you got dog eat dog in the other divisions, maybe um, that opens the door. But I, I'd probably be surprised if one of them got in. Oh, 100 percent, I would be too. Like with that, with the with and even too, I'm like looking ahead of the primetime schedule. Like obviously next week we have Giants, box, and then in two weeks from then we have. Uh, okay, Jimmy, thanks a lot. Um, Oh, what did you see? I'm about to find out. You're about to find out. So next week we have Giants box, and then we have Patriots Bills on the sixth. On November 29th, we have the football team and the Seahawks. Whoever put that game on primetime, you deserve to be fired. Like you got, like I know primetime, you have to get everyone a shot on the, there. The, but the, Seah- the Seahawks and who? Football team. Ugh. 
You know what? Yeah, next next week's Sunday night game, the Steelers and the Chargers, that pisses me off. I know they both have winning records right now, barely, but I'm like, that game's going to suck. Yeah, it's like there's there's only been a few games this year where I'm like, I could care less about it. Like, even two next week. Let's see here. You have even the Packers and the Vikings you could put in that spot. Colts and Bills could be in there. Um, Dallas, Kansas City, rightfully, I think, should have been the Sunday night football game next week. I know Kansas City. Oh, no, that's week. a no, oh, no brainer. I mean, um, you know, maybe they weren't certain if Dallas was going to rebound as strongly as they have this year, but still, I mean, it, that, that had to, before the season, that had to have looked like a more attractive game than the. Chargers and Steelers. That yeah, this that that's a no brainer. That should have been flexed over there. Oh, one hundred percent. Because like I'm just looking at it now. Like when I looked at that, I'm just like, man. And even too, like we have Seahawks and 49ers coming up in a few weeks. Who knows how it's going to be? We have Packers and Bears, which I understand that's a classic rivalry, but I feel like not every single time they play it has to be a Sunday night football game. Yeah, that that has to just be like a like a historical nostalgia thing because the, um, yeah, the the Bears are. I mean, they were on some somehow Monday night game against the Steelers. Um, I think it was just last week, and um, it's it's like I look I look at them and I look at the Giants and I'm like, how did they, how did these teams wind up with multiple Monday night games? Exactly. There's like so many of these teams, but then even too like. We get all these like crappy Thursday night games. We think they're going to happen. Like I'll give right, I'll give a brilliant example: Jags and Bengals. We think it's going to suck, and it ended up being a pretty good game. Like even this week too, Patriots Falcons. I feel like if you're not a fan of either team, you don't really care for it that much. Like even there are so many of these Thursday night games, and I'm like, oh, this game sucks. And I'm, and I'm like, am I still going to watch it? Probably like this Sunday night. Like, uh, like I'll probably still end up watching Steelers or Chargers if I have nothing else to do. But like for example, that's a game. Survivor like, hey, Series. Exactly. I'm honestly – so here's my thing with Survivor Series. I was going to have the game on the TV and then Survivor Series on my laptop, but I may flip it now because it's Steelers and Chargers. Also because the Chargers fucked me in my parlay this week. Mm. I don't know if you've seen any of it, like the TikTok. I post – I don't think you and I have each other on Instagram, but I post my bets there each week. I had Bills to cover. I had Colts money line. I had Eagles money line. I had – what was the other one? I had the under Seahawks and uh, Seahawks Packers, so that's four. All four hit. My last two didn't hit, and one of them was the Chargers money line, and the other one was the Raiders to cover the spread because I do not bet the Kansas City Chiefs to cover the spread until they prove it to me that they can do it consistently. Why? Because they're now five and sixteen in their last twenty-one games against the spread, and they're three and seven on the year. Well, this well the, the spread, the Kansas City spread was free money this week. I got a little overzealous with my same game parlay last night. I I nailed Mahomes passing yards, alternate yards over 275. I nailed the Kansas City spread. Tyreek Hill, 80 receiving yards. He got 83 and a touchdown. Should have been ballsying on for two. But I also had Josh Jacobs, 60 yards and a score. That didn't happen. I feel like every time with my parlays, I've just been getting, how do I say this? Um, I get like a little too cocky with it where I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to add an extra game, try to win like an extra 50 bucks or whatever. But then that's yeah. when it always, always backfires on me. Yeah, sometimes you, you just got to like, you know, go with what you know and, you know, okay, like I might, I mean, I, I always like operate under the, uh, the, the process of, 
if I win a bet, you know, play with house money going forward. And then with, with that mentality, you kind of think of it like, okay, rather than do, trying to do this wacky, like, you know, eight or nine leg parlay, if there's a handful in there that I feel really good about, then that's going to in turn increase my bankroll going forward to, you know, rather than getting it all at once, just kind of chunk away at it little by little. Exactly. All I ask for is one profitable Sunday. That's all I ask for. I've been hitting well in NHL hockey this year so far. But, man, I just want one profitable Sunday. I, na- I actually nailed a pretty good one with the Colts and the Jets. However, I almost got screwed at the end. Um, I, I had Colts to cover. I had, I had Jonathan Taylor, yards and score. Um, Michael Carter, rushing yards that he barely got. Um, and I remember everything had lined up. And then the Jets are putting up all these points in garbage time. And then they're coming down the field. In the final minute, and if they'd gotten a touchdown, they would have covered the spread. Whole thing would have been fucked. And I, I was, like, having a panic attack on the couch. I'm like, how is this happening? They were winning by 30 points. What the hell's going on? And they snagged that interception right at the last second. I'm like, holy shit, hallelujah. Holy shit. Um, I'm going to have to confirm this again with him last Monday, but I remember. That was, like, a few years ago. Um, obviously, it was the Saints-Vikings playoff game, the, the Diggs, Diggs walk-off catch. Yeah. Um, I remember that game. Big Rat told me once. I'm good. He's on here next Monday. I gotta confirm with him what it was. But I remember. I think his brother had. It was either Saints spread or Viking spread, or uh, I think it was Viking spread and Vikings money line. So he, he obviously, I gotta confirm with him. But he had either one too. So I think it may have been Saints. So and obviously the Saints lost that game. So I think he uh, lost all his money too, and he realized, look, all that stuff happened. Um, and as I see the Niners throwing the ball on the sideline, all I got to say is please throw the ball Niners so I can actually win fantasy this week. Oh, but they're not going to throw it to Brandon Ayuka, though, because uh, Ayuka is allergic to the football. Is there a more disappointing player in fantasy this year than Brandon Ayuk? Trey Sermon. Everyone was super high on him, and I was just like, I didn't see it. I was just like, look, he's a fifth. He's I running didn't see back. It. Yeah, he's running backs, though. I mean, yes, Sermon, yes, definitely a, a disappointment. But Ayuk, a first-round draft pick last year, had a very good rookie year, honestly. He, he definitely had some really good games last year. I thought he was going to take that, take a leap forward, um, you know, with, a, with a, a year under his belt. And holy crap, I mean, this guy was invisible the first half of the season. Finally had a good game last week. I took him in the fifth round in two leagues. And holy shit, I, I did not it's, – it's rare that you get a guy – like, it's one thing to underperform. It's another thing to basically just not bring in anything. No, exactly. The one guy, though, I will say that I'm kind of high on – or I, was, I wasn't exactly high on going to this year, but I am for next year. I'm going to try to get him in the first round if I can. Is Jonathan Taylor from the Colts. Yeah, Col- you, know, you know, Taylor – I was having this conversation earlier uh, with someone – I think Taylor might – is he the only stud running back to deliver as advertised this year? You know, you, you think about – like, you look at all the stud running backs, all the guys that were dra- that were taken in the first round, most fantasy leagues, and all of them – almost all of them have either underperformed or gotten hurt. Exactly. Like, you have, for example – Christian McCaffrey, who went first in all leagues, hurt. Uh, Alvin Kamara, hurt. Derrick Henry, hurt. Saquon, been on and off the field. Ezekiel Elliott, maybe, 
but Elliot, I, I, Elliot, good, good, but not great. Um, there's, I mean, the yards definitely have not been there, but then you get some games like against Atlanta where he scored twice. So it's okay. Um, he, I, I wouldn't say he's been elite. He's been good, but, but splitting a lot of time with Tony Pollard. No, exactly. I feel like too, Jonathan Taylor also, you're probably going to hate me for saying this, but Jonathan Taylor too is proof that you can get a running back anywhere in the NFL draft and still be good. Cause Taylor was a second round pick. Even another player that's been pretty good for fantasy this year, even though his team's horrible, is actually Michael Carter from the Jets. I saw that one coming. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. No, he's been good, too. And, and then, like, uh, DeAndre Swift, as he's actually um, getting a lot more volume this year compared to last year. And I think it's really an indictment on the Chiefs for taking Clyde Edwards-Alaire over that guy. Because everybody, I mean, a lot of people at the time thought that they made the wrong move. He seemed to kind of be the... Uh, the foregone conclusion of as the, the best running back available in the 20 draft. And I mean, he's he- been head and shoulders better than Edwards Alaire this year. Exactly. And even too, you have other guys, and then you have a lot of other guys who are just like, they'll have a great week, but then they'll go down. Like miles Gaskin, for example, has been like that. Uh, yep. Even Aaron Jones in green Bay has been like that for a lot. Um, the other running back who's really bounced back though, in my opinion is, um, this guy's name. James, James Conner for Arizona, actually. Like, he had a really bad year last year with the Steelers, and this year he's bounced back great. Um, oh, Najee, Connor's I'm, awesome because as he <laughs> – you don't even have to worry about the, the yardage with him because uh, he he's always pounding it in every single week, and not, not just once, but it looks like he's getting multiple touchdowns more often than not. Exactly. The one guy that – the one situation that I still hate is the uh, – Fucking Jacksonville Jaguars drafting Travis Etienne in the first round. I still hate it because as soon as I saw that, I just thought right away, oh, great, there goes James Robinson's fantasy value. But then this year, he's doing great. Like, or he's yeah, not doing great, he's been playing yeah, solid. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was relieved. I, I mean, I wasn't feeling Etienne to begin with, but um, once, uh, once he went down, because I was such a J-Rob fan at the last year, and once ETN went down, I I just knew I'm like okay the the bell cow J Rob is coming back and Robinson actually has been he, more often than not he's been really good this year um, although there's been some injury concerns with him as well and he kind of got off to a slow start but yeah I mean um, fantasy owners with J Rob definitely caught a break uh, with ETN's injury in the preseason I don't know why they went for him anyway it I, it just didn't seem like a move that made made any sense. I think they were just trying to get like Trevor Lawrence, to, like get his buddy because he was there and available. That's 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 honestly what I think about it. Well, sometimes you know, I, I think that uh, Urban Meyer, you know, he was hell bent on getting a weapon. He wanted Kadarius Tony, and then the, that was the backup. So, uh, not not really a good job in terms of pivoting on the draft board right there. At least it wasn't as bad as twenty twenty with the Packers did. So you obviously know. <laughs> well, because with that one, how bad did he look against Kansas City a couple weeks ago? By the way. Oh my god, he looks horrible. Lost. But the thing with that too is though they wanted Brandon Ayuk. You know how many good there's two solid receivers that went in the second round. Chase Claypool and the podcast and YWC Football Talks personal favorite wide receiver right now in the NFL, Michael Pittman Jr., who's been looking he's gonna be an RB one or not RB uh, wide receiver one for the Colts very soon. Because if you look at it, T.Y. Hilton's on the back line of his career. Um, I don't think Zach Pascal is really that guy. And then same with Paris Campbell. So Michael Pittman Jr., I think next year is going to be wide receiver one. 
Oh yeah, I mean he's already kind of you know feeling like he's become the prime target in that offense. If he if he's not there already, he'll certainly be there next year. I mean I I think that it's it's pretty much a foregone conclusion. Yeah, I mean like like you mentioned uh, Hilton on the back nine and yeah pa- Pascal's just a, a, a middle he's a middle of the road guy. I mean he's, there's no way he's going to command targets away from uh, Pittman. It's probably going to be the opposite of Pittman's all wrapped up in coverage. But yeah, he definitely has arrived in a big way this year. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Oh, well, anyway, um, I think I think that just about does it for this edition of YWC Football Talk, folks. I usually do this for every episode. I'm going to do it again just to clarify what number episode this was for the Trust Fund cast. And this has been episode number 129 of YWC Football Talk. We've come a long way, guys. We're, I think there's a good shot we hit. I don't know if we'll hit 150 by the end of the year because there's only a few weeks left in 2021, which is weird to say. But hopefully by the, uh, by the Super Bowl. That's my goal, to hit 150 by the Super Bowl. And then hopefully hit 200 by the start of next break, uh, the start of next season. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> I love to hear. Well, anyway, Jared, if any of the people on the internet may not know exactly who you are for some reason, do you want to tell them where they can find you and follow you? Of course. Follow me on Twitter at Jared Talks Loud. On Instagram at Jared Talks Loud. Facebook.com slash Jared Talks Loud. And be sure to visit my Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash Jared Silberkleit Trust Fund. There is soon to be Black Friday sales, so you can get some Trust Fund t-shirts at a friendly discount. And I'm not exactly the friendliest guy in the world, so this is a very rare and exclusive opportunity for you to outfit yourself with some seven-figure swag. You know what, though? I love to hear the fact that you made the effort to be nice just for me and all the listeners of YWC. Right? Talk. That's all I got to say. And then after we've done this, I think I have to go on Instagram and follow you there so we can share this podcast as many places we can. But anyway, folks, that's going to do it here for episode number 129 YWC Football Talk. I will see you guys probably Wednesday night as the Patriots do. As I usually like to record the week preview show, the Thursday, but because of the Patriots playing Thursday night, I'm going to bump that up to Wednesday night probably and next week it'll be one giant episode because of Thanksgiving so next Monday night when Big Rat and I record we'll recap week 11 but we'll look ahead to the following week obviously because of everything to do with Thanksgiving and stuff like that it's going to be a little harder to get people to come on but anyway guys thank you very much for listening and I'll see you for episode number 130 have a good one everybody do did will the story of people podcast is now available on the crier media network the first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories ready tara sloan from the san jose sharks undercurrent podcast nbc sports marianne iveson from iveson voice and the let's take this outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. 
I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.